nursing industry is one of the fastest growing career forces in the world today. There are so many issues in the healthcare field these days relating to nurses that simply are not discussed in the media. Welcome to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with Leanne Meyer. Our program will help you with the most relevant information if you're in the nursing field or are planning to enter the industry. Now, here is your host, Leanne Meyer. Welcome back, one and all. This is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, and I am Leanne Meyer. And um, it's a beautiful day in Minnesota, except it's like 30 below zero. But other than that, really good. So I wanted to share my sponsors uh, this week is uh, Kim Evans Institute for Integrative Medicine in Louisville, Kentucky. And they make you an active partner in your care and healing your body mind, spirit, and soul. Kim has a new book out called Transforming Healthcare, Healing You, Me, and Our Broken Disease Care System. For information to and to contact her, go to www.integrativemedicine4u.com. Integrative medicine is written out. Four is a number, and you is just a letter, uh, .com. And then also check out the very popular Holly Blue Nurse Community app, which is for and about nurses at www.hollyblue.com, a community where nurses thrive. So today is a great day. Um, today, our, the title of our episode here is The Power of Words in Mentally Healthy Workplace Culture. And um, I just love this topic. So there are many ways a person can become a hero. And on that, I especially admire the way my guest, Kim LaMontagne, has become a hero to thousands of people across the country and around the world. Um, uh, around the world. She's faced her own fears and demons when she was at what many would call the peak life of corporate America. She will tell her own story in her own way, but what I, I take away is that no matter, excuse me, a spelling here, no matter how perilous it may feel to take off our masks in public and reveal our true wholeness, in fact, it begins the most important and impactable, impactful life possible for us. So um, today, Kim LaMontagne, La uh, she is our guest. She's an international speaker, trainer, and author. She's also a teacher and state trainer with the National Alliance on Mental Illness, a thought leader on the topic of mental health, and a featured speaker at conferences and healthcare organizations. So Kim, welcome. Thank you so much, Leanne. It is an absolute pleasure to be here on your show today, and um, I just applaud the work that you're doing with this. So thank you for having thank me you. here. Thank you. I appreciate that a lot from you. So um, please share your story and background of how you came to the work that you're doing now. <clears throat> sure, sure. So as Leanne had indicated, I am an international speaker, trainer, and author in the area of mental health and well-being, but it wasn't like this uh, many years ago. Uh, I was, as Leanne had indicated, a very high-functioning, successful, high-performing corporate professional who lived behind a mask and struggled in complete silence in the workplace with mental illness, which includes anxiety, major depression, persistent suicidal thoughts, and then also alcohol use disorder. And for many years, because I was seen 
as a leader, as a trailblazer, as a coach, as a mentor, I was fearful and ashamed to be able to speak openly in the workplace that I was struggling, that the people that the, the person that people were seeing on the outside that I was portraying was that happy person, the person who mm-hmm. had everything together, but no one knew that on the inside that I was really falling to pieces. And I will tell you one, one particular instance um, that, that I will never forget. Um, I had gone to a sales meeting with uh, my, my prior organization, and I had just run one Director's Choice Award for sales in my organization. And I've won that award four times in that organization. This time I won the award and a number of us decided to go out after the sales meeting and of course have dinner and drinks and and all Mm -hmm. that. Well, I was in Baltimore, Maryland at this sales meeting and my husband was back home in New Hampshire and I told him we were going out. And I told him I would let him know when I got back at the end of the evening and that I was safe in my hotel room. Well, that never happened because I had too many drinks. And by the time I got back to my room, I don't remember getting back to my room. Hmm. I passed out in my room. And I woke up the next day to over 30 text messages and phone calls and emails from my husband, from my director, my coworkers, because my husband was so afraid and worried that I might be dead on the side of the road because I didn't tell him that I was safe. So he went on my company's website and he found contact information for my director and my coworkers. And um, I got up the next day and had an immediate argument with my husband and had a subsequent argument with my director, but I made it to the sales meeting on time, Mm -hmm. completely hungover, feeling awful, feeling unworthy, saying to myself in my internal brain, saying, okay, Kim, you did it again. You had too much to drink. Now, I was a wine drinker, Uh, Mm -hmm. nothing hard, uh, just wine, but five, six, seven, maybe eight glasses of wine a night, which is a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I got to that sales meeting, and everyone was laughing about how funny I was the night before, all the funny things I was doing and all these things, and... Everyone was just having a grand old time at the sales meeting, and I was shattered internally because I didn't remember doing any of the things that they were telling me I had done the night before. And then the kicker was that I was informed that there was a fire alarm in the hotel that evening, the night that I had passed out, and the entire hotel had been evacuated. Oh, my gosh. Everyone evacuated. Everyone evacuated Leanne but me because Mm. I was passed out in my hotel room. I did not know until the next day that there was an evacuation. Now, granted, I never drank on company time. I never did anything on company time. But I look back at that instance right now and I think if there were a fire, if I were to have perished, that was on my company time. I actually put my company in jeopardy because mm-hmm. of what I had done. And yeah. that's what I, re- I really knew. Um, and it wasn't until several years, years later in 2009, July 16th, 2009, that I finally got the courage to make the phone call that changed my life. Um, 
on July 4th, we had had a party at my house, a block party. And I woke up the next day not remembering anything from the night before. And my pants that I was wearing, um, I was still in them and they were black. All, they were white pants, but there were black marks all over them. And I turned to my husband. I was married at that time. And I asked him what happened. And he said, you were so drunk last night, Kim, that you tripped and came within inches of falling into the fire pit in the driveway. Oh. Oh, my goodness. That was on July, right? That was on July 5th, 2009, and it took me to July 16th at 4.45 in the afternoon to make the call that changed my life. I picked up the phone, and I called my doctor's office, and I said, I need to come in, and I need, uh, it's something very personal, but I need to make an appointment with my doctor. Now, those of you listening here are probably thinking, calling at 4.45 in the afternoon, most likely I'm going to be seen the following day or maybe in a couple of days. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Something happened that day because I called at 4.45 and at 5.15 I was in the doctor's office with the most kind, compassionate, non-judgmental, educated nurse practitioner who Mm -hmm. looked me straight in the eye when I told him. At that point, I called myself an alcoholic. I no longer do that, and I'll explain that why a little later in this conversation. But he looked me straight in the eye, and he says, Kim, I am going to help you, and we are going to do this together. You are living with several diseases, several illnesses that are going on here, and we we can do this together. And that nurse practitioner gave me so much hope and a safe space where I could really break down and say what was really going on. Now, again, mm-hmm. that was in, that was July 16th, 2009. It was not until 2017 that I started to speak openly mm-hmm. about the fact that I was in recovery, about the fact that, um, that I was now healthy Um, so I guess the point of that story is that I was in shame when I was actively drinking and sick, but then I remained in shame even Mm. when I got sober Mm -hmm. and I didn't speak openly about it until several years later. And now I speak on stages. Well, they're virtual stages now, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, You know, I speak on stages and share my story, and I teach and train organizational leaders using my lived experience, um, which is very unique. I can teach from the perspective of the the person with the lived experience and the person as the leader, and I teach people now um, how to create that culture of safety within an organization that creates safe spaces where employees can come forward and speak openly about mental health. That's kind of an abridged version of my story. Um, There's many, many more pieces that go along with that story, but the long and the short of it is that I finally got healthy. I am sober now almost 12 years. I am free of suicidal thoughts. I will always live with mental illness, but I know my triggers. I know my tools. I have a very robust toolbox. And now my mission and my goal in life is to teach and train others that, number one, you matter. Number two... Um, you are worthy, and it's okay to not be okay, but we have to find the strength to speak openly and teach leaders how to 
identify the signs and symptoms of someone who's struggling and create that, that place of safety where they can speak openly. Mm-hmm. You're speaking about, um, you know, alcohol being the thing that was, um, you know, whatever you want to call it, a crutch or the, the symptom maybe, the symptom of the disease that was underlying it. And that's always been my feeling is that we look at the symptoms and make judgments about who that person is or what it's about. But rarely is whatever it is that they've, you know, uh, gone overboard on, whether it's, you know, uh, drugs, alcohol, uh, shopping, um, you know, any of the number of other ways that we can uh, go to excess to cover the pain that often underlies it. Um, So people judging that is part of what keeps people from not talking up, speaking up, right? Absolutely, yes. 100%, absolutely. And, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a a thought leader and a contributor in, in a, um, the Facebook group, show me your stethoscope. And I know that you're active in that group Mm -hmm. as well. And, um, just a few weeks ago, I put a poll in that group and I asked those, um, members of show me your stethoscope. What's the number one reason why you don't speak openly about mental, mental health and well-being, your own mental health and well-being in the workplace? The number one reason was judgment. Mm -hmm. There is a fear of being judged. And I do believe, or what I've come to know, what I've come to learn, is that judgment is heavily tied to stigma. And then stigma stigma and discrimination, Mm -hmm. yep, it is heavily tied to lack of education and understanding. Mm -hmm. And... um, you know, in terms of speaking openly and, and educating people, um, even to the to the point of you know the title of this of this show today, it's about the power of words. Mm-hmm. I mentioned earlier that I no longer call myself an alcoholic because when we think alcoholic, well, I know when I think alcoholic, I think someone who's homeless, living under a bridge, lost everything, everything is awful. Um, there's just there's no hope. Mm-hmm. But what I've found is that those people, they're not alcoholics. They are people mm-hmm. who are living with a manageable disease. Um, just like someone who is living with diabetes. We call them diabetics, but they're not a diabetic. They're a person living with diabetes. Mm-hmm. Um, we, don't call, we should not call individuals who are living with schizophrenia or bipolar that, oh, that person's schizophrenic or bipolar. Because we wouldn't mm-hmm. say that person's a heart attack. We would say that's a person living with heart disease. So it's about and sometimes have you know, no changing. problem saying they're batshit crazy. I mean, talk about exactly. being judgmental. I mean, at least if somebody's using the the um, diagnostic names, uh, I can't say that's better. But at the same time, we do as nurses make those kinds of judgments. We do, we do, absolutely. And even even some of the words like um, you know, frequent flyers. We all know that there's individuals that come in and, and they do come to see, seek treatment frequently. And maybe they are seeking um, um, pain medications, opioids, or, you know, they're trying to maybe work the system to, to get what they want. But it doesn't mean that they're a bad person. It doesn't mean that they're a frequent flyer. It means that they're a person who is actively sick, who is doing the best that they know how with what, what tools that they have. But if we can just open up space for them and see them as a person who is struggling and 
allow them and give them the space to speak openly about it and the tools to help them get through, we could potentially make a difference. But when we label them as frequent flyers and we treat them differently, we're doing them a disrespect. And, mm-hmm. you know, one, one thing that I've actually spoken about on Show Me Your Stethoscope is a, a term called label avoidance. And mm-hmm. um, label avoidance goes right along with stigma. Label avoidance is not actually speaking openly and asking for help because you do not want to be assigned a stigmatizing label. Mm-hmm. So what that means is that if you are living with an illness that is stigmatizing and you know you need help, you may experience label avoidance by not seeking help because you don't want to be judged. That mm-hmm. is a very dangerous scenario right there. Um, mm-hmm. Because most often, those illnesses that are stigmatized are the ones that we, that we need to speak openly about. But we're avoiding the labeling, um, and that really has a lot to do with stigma and discrimination. And we also, I, I don't know if you agree, but it seems to me, and maybe in my own situation, that denial is just an incredible thing. Well, I don't have a mental health problem because I'm not, you know, using psycho medication. Um, I'm not, um, I don't have a problem with drugs or alcohol because um, I can work, I can hold a job, I'm taking home a paycheck every week. Um, So that means I don't have this problem. And we just keep telling ourselves this, even to all the experiences, like you were saying to yourself, oh, Kim, you've done it again. You've had too much to Mm -hmm. drink and don't know what happened. Um, So it's Mm -hmm. like, it, it takes... One of those things, I think I heard somewhere that there's one of four things that happen, or maybe five, but either you get confronted by your family, uh, severely enough, um, you get picked up by the cops, you have to go to court, uh, sometimes that is the thing that breaks everything open, um, and uh, the last one is losing your job. And especially for men, that one tends to be the last thing that goes because they will hang on to that and say, you know, I don't have this problem because I've got a job. Well, you know what? And I, and I think that's right. And I had a job too. I had a, a very high paying corporate job and I was at the top of the, a top of the uh, performance chain. And I was that leader and that coach and that mentor. And I literally feel like I had a wall of masks so that mm. anytime I, you know, I had to show up and do the thing. And, and I almost think that sometimes I use my performance as a way to not allow people to see what was really going on behind the scenes. Because if I was mm. performing at a high level, meeting and exceeding mm-hmm. goals, no one would ask. Right. They'd leave you alone. They would leave me alone. But I will tell you that in 2018, I was a uh, featured speaker at a conference out in Texas, and it was a conference that was attended by about 100, 150 um, senior vice presidents and directors of talent development, HR, and nursing at major healthcare systems in Houston. Mm-hmm. And these are, these are leaders. These are senior vice presidents. And I got up. I was the first presenter of the day. And I shared my story. And then I did my training and my presentation about creating uh, a culture of safety in the workplace. 
It really fosters open dialogue about mental illness. And it was a two and a half day conference. Over the course of those two and a half days, 13 senior vice presidents, directors, thought leaders, high performers came up to me and said, Kim, I applaud you for getting up there and being raw and open and vulnerable and admitting some of the things that happened to you in the past. I saw so many pieces of me in your story. Um, I had senior vice presidents come up to me and say, I, you're the first person who shared a story like that and actually made me feel like I could speak openly to you and, and safe because you get it. I've been mm-hmm. wearing a mask too. And that's when I really 100% knew that my purpose on this planet is to take my lived experience and bring it forward, coupled with all of the research, the tools, and, the, and, and everything that I've acquired along the way, create a training that's going to impact organizational leaders and employees around the world and, and put that to use and really make that impact. So I tell people on a frequent basis, we have signs and symptoms of mental illness, but never, ever overlook those high performers. Never. Because right. they could be just like me, a chameleon in the workplace who's trying to avoid what's really going on on the inside by performing at an exceptional level on the outside. It strikes me um, that if you had 13 people that walked up to you at that meeting, there were probably 30 times that amount in the audience that didn't speak up. But hopefully maybe they thought about it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, I I did another presentation for my coworkers. My vice president uh, had uh, noticed all the work I was doing in the mental health space. So at one of our sales summits, uh, she invited me to, to train my team on mental health and well-being. And again, I shared my story with about 35 of my coworkers in business development, marketing, HR, um, all those. You know, my vice president was there. My director was there. And I got up and I shared my story with my, my work family who only knew the Kim LaMontagne high performer. Right. They didn't know anything else. And when I say that you could hear a pin drop in that room, no one moved, no one got up for coffee, no one left that room to go to the bathroom because they were all waiting for the next words to come out of my mouth because none of them, none of them recognized the Kim LaMontagne that I was describing. Right. And yeah. After that presentation was over, seven of my own coworkers came up to me and admitted that they needed help. Mm-hmm. So yes. this is, you know, the truth or the power of truth, I think. Um, you know, we think we have to keep this to ourselves because there's nobody else that is experiencing this shameful thing that I'm experiencing. And so we don't reach out until it's almost to the point of, well, I don't know, no return. I always think there's, you know, hope no matter what level you're There's always at. hope, yep. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. So by yeah, and speaking forward, you are giving people permission to say, yes. yes, I'm a human being too, and I have similar experience. Yes, and I think that's incredibly 
powerful. Look at all the celebrities who have come forward to admit that they are struggling with either um, mental illness, alcohol misuse. Um, you know, when a celebrity steps forward, there's something to be said for that because you're like, oh, my gosh, I put this person as a celebrity up on a pedestal. Mm-hmm. which I don't. I think celebrities are just the same as you and I, but some people exactly. put them up on a pedestal. Yep. And it's like, oh my gosh, they suffer too. And but you know what? It, that is it, does, it does make sense, you know, because mm-hmm. um, I was thinking about that. I was just talking to somebody, um, a nurse, a high-level nurse, who said she was making $500,000 a year. And I kind of, my breath caught thinking, a nurse can do that. How interesting. Mm-hmm. But I started to think if that was me and I was at that level where somebody felt I had enough value to share to pay me that amount of money, imagine the pressure. I don't, you don't have to imagine it. You've been through it. But I think so many mm-hmm. times people are wishing to have, oh, you know, if I was only rich, my life would be perfect. Everything would be easy. And um, it's not true. It's it's no. it's like each level up you go, you feel like, oh my gosh, can I top this? Can I, you know, keep keep this going? Can I keep fooling them? I'm that imposter syndrome thing. Um, yes. Yeah. Any comments on that? We're going to go to a break here in just a minute or so. But anything you want to add in there before sure. we do? Yeah, I would definitely um, agree with you on the on the imposter syndrome. I think the higher you go up the corporate chain the more alone you could possibly feel and maybe the more stress you have and the more stress you have, um, the more likely you could be to maybe having a drink or two and then maybe having mm-hmm. a few more or um, have struggling because you've got so much pressure on you. But as leaders, many of us don't feel like we are able to take our armor off and show mm-hmm. the world who we truly are. When I personally, I wear no armor at all. I'm an open book, 100% mm-hmm. vulnerable. And I can tell you, it changes people's lives when you can speak from the heart and from that lived experience and create yes. those safe spaces, which is why I'm so passionate about teaching leaders about the power of words, teaching them about how to eradicate stigma, how to create that culture of safety and um, really have open conversations where everyone feels included, supported, mm-hmm. safe, and seen. Right, exactly. And that's the culture that you create. So on that note, we're going to actually take a break here, and we're going to come back and talk more about this very, very important topic. Um, Again, telling the truth. So um, this is uh, Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. I'm Leanne Meyer. Um, The name of our show today is The Power of Words in Mentally Healthy Workplace Culture. So my guest is Kim LaMontagne, a thought leader on the topic of mental health and a featured speaker at conferences and healthcare organizations around the world. Thank you, and we'll be right back. listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Womeninhealthcare.org, a national nonprofit, is our newest partner at Once a Nurse. It is among the most rapidly growing professional development groups for women in healthcare today. Through healthcare education, professional development, mentorship, 
community and a focus on self, the organization empowers women with the tools needed to advance their careers. They use initiatives to break down barriers within organizations and equip women with the tools needed to open a powerful force for gender parity. 80% of the healthcare workforce is female, with nurses a massive majority of that percentage. But less than 20% of leadership is female. Join womeninhealthcare.org as they help all women of all ages and all levels rise up. Use code HEALTHPROS to receive $50 off the annual membership fee and receive discounted pricing for events, free resources, webinars, and a substantial discount for our annual leadership summit on October 22, 2020. WomenInHealthcare.org to be where you want to be in the world of healthcare. Hey nurses, what would you say is the hardest part about being a nurse? Well, most of you would say it's putting everyone else's needs before our own, which means not enough time for self-care. And this is why Holly Blue has created a peer support and community app just for nurses, so you can take care of you. Holly Blue is the ultimate nurse app to help you connect with local nurses, organize your nurse life in one place, restore your love for nursing, and empower you to thrive in a field that needs you. Want to see how it works? Student nurses, nurses, and retired nurses can download this free app on the App Store or Google Play now. Just type in H-O-L-L-I-B-L-U or go to hollyblue.com to start connecting. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to leannevoiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Welcome back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. I am Leanne Meyer, and our topic today is the power of words in a mentally healthy workplace culture. And uh, if you're just joining us now, uh, my guest today is Kim LaMontagne, who is, um, uh, she is a teacher and a state trainer with the National Alliance on Mental Illness and a thought leader on the topic of mental health and also a featured speaker at conferences and all around the world. So, Kim, welcome back. And um, as yeah, as we were on the break, you were mentioning that you were familiar with uh, Carol Lunsford from Holly Blue, uh, one of my um, uh, sponsors, and uh, that you yes. had worked with her. Do you want to tell say a little bit about that? I would be delighted to say a little bit about this because um, <clears throat> last year during Nurses Week, uh, actually, it was prior to nursing, Nurses Week. I was actually had the honor to be connected with Kara Lunsford, who has um, is the founder of Holly Bloom, and she is a dynamic mover and a shaker. She is an incredibly um, passionate woman, and one of the things that she had come to me uh, for is they had done a nurse PPE survey, a national nurse um, survey on PPE. And they wanted to follow up that survey during Nurses Week last year with one on mental health and well-being. Mm-hmm. So she reached out to me along with one other nurse, and uh, we had some discussions. And I actually had the privilege of writing the questions in that National Nurse Well-Being Survey that were specific to mental health and well-being. Myself and P- Portia Wofford 
she's also a nurse as well. Uh, the two of us came up with the questions for that. And there were over 1,300 nurses and healthcare providers that responded. Um, 78% of them were registered nurses. And there were loads of questions in there. But some of the, the, the answers that I pulled out, which I think would be very interesting for your listeners, listeners to learn, is that 50% of people who responded to that survey report becoming worried by the thought of going to work. Mm-hmm. These are healthcare professionals. Of those 50% who reported being worried about going to work, 52% of them said that worry for them manifests as distraction. That's not good. 56% say that it manifests as their inability to concentrate in the workplace. Mm-hmm. 45% of these healthcare professionals, and mostly nurses, report that their worry manifests as intrusive thoughts. And then 56% of them feel that there is a stigma in the workplace around mental health. <laughs> the, top, the top three things that nurses are experiencing are anxiety, emotional stress, and lack of sleep. But mm-hmm. what I thought was very interesting and very eye-opening was in response to the stigma. Again, 56% feel that there's stigma in the workplace, but only half, only half of these respondents feel that it's safe to speak openly about mm-hmm. mental health in the workplace. And of those 50% or half that feel that it's safe, 78% of them feel that they're, or reported that they're likely to leave their current position or specialty because they feel too unsafe asking for help in the, work, in the workplace. Interesting. That just spoke so much to me. And again, it's um, another reason why I just feel that it is incredibly, not feel, I know that it's incredibly important to to educate leaders on what mental I'd illness is and what it isn't. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, even on any level, we yeah. really don't uh, deal with, with health. We deal with disease care. It's like we wait until somebody is at the worst level of whatever de- disease system they're dealing with, and then we try to fix them. And it costs a lot uh-huh. of money and usually lots of medications and many, many years. And, you know, the hope of being able to really get back to a healthy spot gets less and less the more diseased you are. So I think this exactly. is another one of them is that, you know, we say we're healthcare, we're healthy, but we don't do healthy things. We make nurses work incredible, ridiculous hours. We ask them to come back and work again on their day off. And we punish them if they don't do that. This is insanity. And yet we keep Uh doing it. And nurses think that they have to go along with it. So is there anything you could give them just kind of like briefly, and maybe it, it can happen briefly, but I just feel like that nurses really do have this thought in their head that these things are being done to them and they have no power over it. Do they? Mm-hmm. What can they do? Well, in terms of, you know, staffing, um, scheduling, all of those things, my work doesn't focus specifically on, mm-hmm. um, you know, the fair practices of what nurses are being asked to do. But what I can say is that 
if nurses are continuously exposed to long hours, um, high acuity of patients, too many patients, all of these things that are currently going on right now, uh, it could lead to them experiencing um, a mental health episode because what happens is these nurses are, they're feeling burnt out. They're feeling like they can't be everything to everyone. They're losing patients on a, on a regular basis. They're not taking time not because they don't want to, but because they don't have the time to grieve. I saw someone Mm -hmm. who talked about this in Show Me Your Stethoscope last week, how back in the day, quote unquote, when a patient passed, that nurse, those providers had time to grieve. But Mm -hmm. right now, our healthcare providers, we're losing patients and it's on to the next. There is no time for these nurses to stop and grieve. So again, I, I... I'm not sure in terms of, you know, do they have the power to push back and say no to things? I think that's, you know, individual within each organization. But what I I do want to say to these nurses is to not let the overwhelm, to not let um, everything that is going on within the world right now, and especially in healthcare, let them lead to a thought that they are not good enough that they are not worthy enough, that they are not uh, meant to be a nurse. All of those thoughts come up when, um, you know, when we feel overwhelmed and like we can't do, do the right thing. So I want to empower nurses and anyone who is listening to, to this, this show today that we all have emotions, we all have thoughts, but we do not have to hold on to every single one of them. And what I mean by that is sometimes um, when I was going through my journey of recovery, I found the work of Byron Katie. I don't know if you or your listeners are aware of her, but she has this this program called The Work, and she is an internationally known speaker, and she uses the power of mind over matter, so to speak, where when you have a stressful thought, when you're thinking and believing that you're worthless, if that's your stressful thought. You have the ability to go through and ask yourself, is this thought really true or is this just something that I'm thinking and believing or the, the environment that I'm in is making me think and believe this? So you have the opportunity to ask yourself, is this thought true? Then you have the opportunity to ask yourself, are you absolutely sure that this thought that you're thinking and believing is, is true? And then, so you have two choices. You have two opportunities to dismiss that thought. Um, and then you can go into the next question that she says, how do you feel? Who do you become physically, mentally? Um, how do you feel when you're thinking and believing that stressful thought? So then it gives you that opportunity to say, wow, well, when I think I'm worthless, then I have a pit in my stomach. I feel worthless. You know, I'm depressed. I'm down. And it, it allows me to kind of stay, take stock into what that thought is doing to me. Mm-hmm. And I recognize it. And then I think to myself, who would I be if I didn't have this thought? Well, if I didn't have this thought, I would be great. So then I go back to question number one and two. Is this thought really true? <laughs> if it's not mm-hmm. true, I get rid of it. But I didn't know that I had the power to question my thoughts until 2016 yeah. when I found the work of Byron Katie. But before that, I believed every single thought about myself. Every single stressful thought that I'm unworthy, I don't belong here, um, my life isn't worth living, I'm stupid, um, but here I am 
performing at a high level, but I was believing all of those thoughts. Right. So I want to empower whoever's listening to this today to know that you have a choice to believe your thoughts, and many of them will not be true. I had an experience somewhat similar to that um, in that I worked on a labor and delivery foreign. I was an assistant clinical manager there, and I had the feeling that I had to do everything and do it all perfectly, and you know, um, nothing else was, was possible. And uh, I just kept getting hurt over and over again because I put myself into positions that were not safe for me, that were very risky. And I couldn't understand why this was happening. And it finally came to the point where I couldn't work anymore. I had to take time off work. And I was assigned uh, a worker, uh, and I, it's gone right out of my brain what they call them when you're on workers' comp, and they assign somebody to you to help you um, get through the, kind of manage all of the different things you need to do while you're recovering. And this little mm-hmm. perky little person was about four feet tall. She was gorgeous. She was so smart. She was everything I wanted to be. And I started hearing her say, as we got to know each other better, um, saying all these things that were bald-faced lies. You know, she wasn't worthy. She wasn't smart. She wasn't capable. She, you know, didn't feel confident about this or that or the other thing. And I looked at her and I thought, if she is that wrong about herself, maybe I'm wrong about myself. And that was the turning point for me to start rethinking it. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I 100% agree with you on that. And, um, you know, we can all look great on the outside, but it, it really, we have to, it is critical that we are mindful about what is going on in our brains at all times and mm-hmm. know we have the power to, to dismiss any type of a negative thought. I know that you have come up with some things to help people. You've designed things. You've written a book. Do you want to talk about your book? Mm-hmm. For sure. a minute, and then some of the so, other things that you've designed. Absolutely. So the book that I that um, I wrote, I was actually a visionary author for. So it's an anthology. There were uh, ten um, other authors in the book, and I was the the visionary author who came up with the idea. It's titled "It's Okay to Not Be Okay." And I'm actually going to be doing a giveaway and show me your stethoscope, by the way, Leanne. So you'll be seeing some information coming out. I am, yes. Um, And that book is um, about individuals who are brave enough to step forward and share their own personal story of what they, how they live through mental illness, what happened, what helped them, and what they're doing now. And um, I got the inspiration because I was a contributing author in a book called The Strength of Our Anchors a couple of years ago. And I shared my story about uh, my recovery and my experience in the corporate workplace. And there was a lot of um, positivity that came from that book. And I thought, I need to go to the next level and be the visionary author and create my own book. So I did. And I found authors around the United States, Canada, and the U.K., who all contributed their stories. Uh, it is available on Amazon. Uh, there's an ebook and also a paperback book as well. And then um, April 1 of t- 2020, I, ha- I made the decision to, instead of doing my speaking, teaching, and training part-time while I balanced a full-time job, I let go of my corporate full-time job and I stepped 100% fully into developing corporate training. 
and I've done that. I've developed a, uh, a corporate training called The Four Pillars of Creating and Sustaining a Mentally Healthy Workplace Culture. And um, the four pillars, basically, of that program are that we need to recognize the impact of unaddressed mental illness in the workplace. We need to share the lived experience to bring the human connection to mental health. Change the perception. That's where I talk about stigma and the power of words. And then create that safe environment where people can speak openly. And um, it's been very incredibly fulfilling to be able to develop a program where I can bring a group of leaders together and be able to share my lived experience, talk about the statistics. One in five are suffering with a mental illness. Eight in ten are afraid to speak openly about it. Put those statistics up against the, how many people are in your workforce. Right. And, right? If one in five mm. are suffering and you have a boardroom full of 25 senior leaders, there's a good mm-hmm. chance that five out of those senior leaders are going to, they're experiencing a problem. So how do we change the perception? And I, I, I do an entire uh, section in my training on the power of words, you know, like getting rid of the words addict, nuts, junkie, alcoholic, and replacing it with a person living with mental illness, a person in recovery. Um, Just a quick example. If you were in the workplace right now, uh, prior to COVID, and everyone, there's a group of five of you standing around the water cooler, and you're, you're all discussing your coworker, John Smith, who checked himself into the nut house over the weekend because he went off his rocker and he's an alcoholic and he's schizo. Mm -hmm. If I'm standing there around the water cooler, listening to my coworkers talk about him, and I have a secret inside of me that I have some problems going on, there's no way that I will come forward to that group of people. However, if the conversation around, yeah, if the conversation around that water cooler were, I am so proud of John mm-hmm. for coming forward and admitting that he needed help. And I'm so thankful that he got himself into treatment. I see that he is sick right now, but I'm so proud that he is making the commitment to get better. That is a completely different conversation. And that's a conversation where I would feel safe telling someone that I'm just like John. Mm-hmm. And so, so I teach a lot about the power of words. Um, I teach the, um, the uh, key pieces of building a safe workplace environment, and that includes having psychological safety, you know, knowing that you'll not be punished or humiliated for speaking up with questions, concerns, ideas. There's physical safety. There's emotional safety. There's empathy. You know, are your leaders able to um, identify, use empathy, and understand other people's emotions? Um, Is there inclusion in the workplace? If there's not inclusion and uh, people are being treated differently and don't have equal access to opportunities and resources, that's a sense of not being included. That's not a safe environment. Inclusion is incredibly important. Uh, Understanding. Um, peer support in the workplace is huge as well um, because for us to be able to speak openly, um, it's very powerful when we know that we're not alone. And by finding internal champions within your organizations who 
may have had that lived experience and they're far enough in their recovery to speak openly about it. They could just be that catalyst, which would bring other people forward. Mm -hmm. And then having a robust and um, committed relationship with your employee assistance program, bringing those resources forward and making them available to your employees, tying it all together is just some pieces of really creating that that culture of safety. And then it really goes up to the leader to really embed the commitment that they are building a safe workplace environment. And this is what it's going to look like. Embed that commitment in every single communication to your employees. Um, You know, build awareness of all your resources. There's so many things that need to be done. Um, That's just a few of them. Yeah. You know, most of us, uh, you know, speaking as a nurse, hope that that kind of you work at the organization who understands all of this and makes it available to you. And most of us feel like it has to come from somewhere else other than us. But I have really had the the opportunity to begin to realize that by being kind to other people, watching other people, um, trying to you know engage them in deeper conversations than just superficial, and letting them know that I'm okay with listening to those things, I found that I was able to make a difference. It, you know, maybe just on my own unit, and then you know maybe that difference begins to have an impact elsewhere. I was fortunate in that right. <clears throat> I had very wise leaders that worked for the organization that I last worked at. And they created an organization from the CEO to the most recently hired employee that was all about respect. And um, so I was fortunate to have an organization like that to work for. But I also have learned that nurses really don't feel like we have the power to step up and make that happen. And I'm, I'm here to say we, we, that we are four million strong in the United States. Mm-hmm. If we can't do it, who can? That's, that's, that's very true. That is very true. Nurses unite, you know, and um, I think it's, it's critical right now to be able to, to speak openly and not have that fear that you're going to be judged. And, mm-hmm. you know, one thing that I wanted to, to, to say is that, you know, when I, when I do teach and train leaders about the language, the statistics, how to support someone, how to identify the signs and mm-hmm. symptoms, I do not teach leaders to become counselors. Mm-hmm. I do not, and it, and it is not my job to be a counselor. It is not a leader's job to be a counselor. But what I do teach are all of the missing links that could give that leader a clear picture of, wow, I never noticed these signs and symptoms before, but now Mm -hmm. I see it and I feel empowered to put my hand on the shoulder of this employee and say, are you okay? And -hmm. if that employee says no or yes, you know, go deeper. Are you really okay? Or is that what you really, are, are you giving me what you think I want me to, what you want me to hear? Or are you really okay? Um, And then when they say that they're not okay, being able as a leader to crosswalk that employee to the right services Mm -hmm. is so critically important. Yep. Again, I'm not asking anyone to turn into a counselor. Leave that to the counselors. But what I'm trying, what I'm doing with this training is giving leaders a tool to identify and feel empowered enough 
to have those conversations to get those employees to the services that they need. Exactly. I I think that is just so, so very important. And the thing that a lot of nurses, or at least <clears throat> the nurses that I'm hearing talk about it, do not believe <clears throat> that that kind of a leader exists, um, that there is a leader that does care about them. And my experience with this mm. show is that I'm learning there are more and more organizations that I'm finding that do have these kind and caring people in them. Um, but we need to make sure mm-hmm. that those are the places that have the easiest time to uh, hire nurses, that nurses know about where are the places that are treating people with respect, etc. I hate to yeah. say this, but we have come to the end. And um, <clears throat> I'm always mm-hmm. amazed when it happens. A couple of I things. I know. That- I'm sorry. <laughs> I want to thank you so much for coming, especially um, Kim LaMontagne. And I'm going to just, for anybody who came in late, um, just say that, um, you know, our topic has been the power of language and mentally healthy workplace culture. And Kim has been teaching and and um, speaking on this subject and helping healthcare organizations to know more about it. I want to get that to the level of the nurses, too. So I'm going to have to sign off here, but um, watch the words that we're, we're saying. Uh, for 2021, yeah. my two main goals are, number one, to be able to provide professional, mental, and emotional health assistance 24-7 to the millions of nurses who have been pushed to their limits and many times beyond. As I read nurses' messages on social media, I am shocked at how hard they are on themselves. I ask each of you to reach out for help yourself if you're seeing these things and encourage those around you who are reluctant to do so. You deserve support and assistance. Please take it. And then number two, I want to get the ball rolling on transforming healthcare by connecting people, uh, anyone who is interested in helping to transform healthcare, please contact me at Leanne. L-E-A-N-N-E at onceanurse.com and let me know what your ideas are about healthcare and leadership, what it needs to look like in the future, what needs to be taught in nursing schools, how do we get every nurse in every hospital to show the directions for changing uh, your workplace culture without losing your job or your sanity. So until our next show, I just want to say make it a great week and don't let anyone take it away. Thank you, Leanne. I appreciate it. This has been a great show. You're so welcome. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with your host, Leanne Meyer. Be sure to join us again next Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a productive and insightful week. making 